Hello, we're doing something weird today. We are. We have a book that I found at work. Um, and I work at a university in the journalism department. And this was, there are always like tables of old academic books, like as professors are cleaning out their offices or like, we've had a lot of office reshuffling mm-hmm. going around. So I don't know who this belonged to, but it was on the table where all the books are. And usually the books are like, how to be a war reporter in the Middle East or whatever. (laughs) Like, it's rare that I see something like this. Yes. And this is Reading the Romance. And the subtitle is Women, Patriarchy, and Popular Literature. And Abigail, do you want to describe this cover for the people? Boy, do I. Because It's pink. It is It is pink. And pinkish. We have the outline of a woman reading, sitting on the floor. I assume she's wearing a dress because her body shape is very strange. Yeah, it looks like a, like a, I'm picturing like a house dress. Yes. Barefoot Um, in a house dress. And then behind her is what looks kind of like a classic Harlequin illustration Mm -hmm. of a woman in a, in a red dress with big sleeves who's like crouched on the ground. Her hair is blowing in the wind. She's seductively holding her ankle. And then behind her is a man in a pair of khaki pants. Uh, And what looks like a drug rug. Yeah, it does look like a drug rug. Who is standing behind her? Like crouching. Maybe he's on one knee. Maybe? It's weird. And he's wearing like Renaissance Fair boots. Yes. (laughs) It's... If somebody crouched behind me like this, it would feel very patronizing. Yeah, he's got a hand on each of her shoulders from behind her, and she's, like, turning her face up to him, and he's, like, nuzzling her. Their um, hair color is both the exact same. They the look exact like same a color. dating her siblings. Which is also the exact same color of his Renaissance boots. Ah, yes. Cheap printing. Cheap printing. And the font is very, like... 1950s diner. Yeah, very Cadillac Mm, to me. Yes. But yeah, so this was published in 1984, originally. And it is by Janice A. Radway, who is basically a comm studies professor at many notable universities. Yes. At the time, she was at Penn. Right. Then she went on to teach at Duke. Now she is a professor emeritus at Northwestern. I looked her up. She looks lovely. She seems like a really nice lady just she by does. looking at her. She looks like she would offer us tea and talk about romance. Exactly. So obviously, I had to pick up this book. And obviously, we had to talk about it. Because this shit's fucking wild. Yes. We uh, preface, we did not read this whole thing. It no. would take years. Yeah. It's very capital A academic. Like, it's very clearly meant to be a textbook. Yes. For, like, comp studies or rhetoric or english or something yes and it's sort of meant to analyze the reading habits of women who read romance novels and sort of get to the the meat of why these are popular Mm -hmm. as of 1984 yes and oh buddy is this like i kept looking at i kept looking at the date again and again because i was like are we sure this is from the 80s because this feels like 1950s to I me. know. It's more like housewife focused than maybe I would have expected for the 80s. Yeah, 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 same. But I'm assuming, and again, we haven't read this, I'm assuming maybe a lot of her research for the book happened maybe in the 70s, mm, and mm-hmm. then she finally published it in the 80s. Maybe so. We never, you know, again, we didn't read this whole thing, so... I'm not sure exactly when this... I'm sure she explains her methodology at some point because you're supposed to do that. Yes. But we did flip through and the previous owner thankfully highlighted some stuff. Yes. So I've read some of these highlights and there are some really interesting statistics about reading. So shall we dive in? Yes. So one of the statistics is which of the following best describes why you read romances and it's really kind of surprising because here are the options and i want did you did you look at this specifically do you know what the top reason is i don't remember it okay i'm gonna read the options to you and Mm -hmm. i want you to tell me what you think 
the leading answer is. Okay. A, to escape my daily problems. B, to learn about faraway places and times. C, for simple relaxation. D, because I wish I had a romance like the heroines. E, because reading is just for me. It is my time. (laughs) F, because I like to read about the strong virile. Is that how you say that word? Yeah. Virile (laughs) heroes. Okay. G, because reading is at least better than other forms of escape. Okay. H, because romantic stories are never sad or depressing. Ooh. What was C again? For simple relaxation. I'm going to say it's C. Okay, very close. Wait, no, actually that is right. Whoa, look at that. It's very close between reading is just for me, it's my time. Mm. And I found this interesting because none of that has anything to do with romance novels at all. No, you're right. For simple relaxation and reading is just for me, it's my time. And that just begs the question, I guess, if like, was romance the only thing marketed toward women? What a great question. Maybe. Is that the only thing women felt able to pick up to read for relaxation? Right. Do you... Do you have a guess for the least, the option, the the one with the least votes? Mm, strong heroine. Strong virile heroes. Oh. Yeah. That is surprising to yeah. me. Because I Wish I Had a Romance Like the Heroines is second to last. Mm, okay. And the reading is at least better than other forms of escape is tied with second to last. I don't even know what that means, so. Yeah, I guess, like, in comparison to, like, Watching TV? TV? I don't know. You can feel slightly more intellectual reading a Harlequin romance. I guess. Instead of watching Price is Right or whatever was yeah. on in the 80s. Yeah. The third most popular one was to learn about faraway places and times. And one of the things that I learned flipping through this book is that most of the romance novels we're talking about here, mm-hmm. they're all like um, Harlequin, like... Historical. Historical. Mm. That's interesting because almost... I mean, as this podcast is based, we almost exclusively read contemporary romance. Right. Which, Well, it's exclusively what we talk about almost. Right. But I don't think that that didn't exist in the 80s. That's a great question. Like, when did contemporary romance become contemporary romance? Yeah. I don't know. Because I don't know, like, my... My mom never read these growing up. She was mostly like a paperback James Patterson, Dean Koontz kind of mm-hmm. kind of lady. But I would always – we didn't have really like a bookstore where I grew up. We just like – we got our books at Walmart. Yeah. Um, And I, of course, remember seeing like the Fabio cover romance novels. I have zero recollection of anything that even resemble, remotely resembled a contemporary romance novel – Mm-hmm. In the 90s. So I've pulled, I googled, which we'll see what it gets me. First contemporary romance novel. In 2021, the Washington Post published a article entitled How the Romance Genre Found Its Happily Ever After. But this doesn't really fall in the, co- like, in contemporary romance. In 1972, Avon Books published The Flame and the Flower by Kathleen Woodowis? That's mentioned in this book a lot. Mm, yes. A hefty historical romance mm-hmm. that traded chastity for steamy sex scenes. It, in, it arrived in the thick of the sexual revolution and readers loved it. It was an instant bestseller that's credited with birthing the modern romance genre. So it's like, as we know, romance has been around for fucking forever in some form. But this is like romance getting sexy in 72. Right. But it's, that's not the same as contemporary romance like we read today. Yeah, not at all. Here's Fabio. So in the oh, there he is. Mm-hmm. So in in this section of the book that's called the ideal romance, mm-hmm. that our girl Janice, who wrote this book, um, talked to a bunch of women for this for this book, and she had them write down their favorite romances. And the flame and the flower was overwhelmingly. The favorite. That mm. book that you just mentioned. Interesting. Okay. Which leads me to my next point, which is about – there's a little graph in here about what 
the the three most important ingredients in a romance are, and we were talking about this before we were recording because we've decided that these women are liars. Yes. Which I feel like is really ev- like, okay, so I'll just say what it is. So the overwhelming first most important feature of a romance novel is a happy ending, which we've talked about on here before. That's what defines a romance. A romance. Yeah. So, agree, period. I feel like that shouldn't have even been an option because that's, like, dumb. That is the genre. Yeah. Second is a slowly but consistently developing love between a hero and heroine. Slow Emphasis on slowly. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Third is – and these are the I'm, – I'm ranking these by overall votes – for because they had to say first most important feature, second most important mm-hmm. feature, third most important feature, and then there's total who checked response in one of these top three positions. So I'm going for the total number of women who voted this aspect in their top three. Mm-hmm. So the third is some detail about heroine and hero after they've gotten together, which is also really interesting. And then fourth is. Lots of love scenes with some explicit sexual description. That's fourth. Okay. Then behind that is tied a setting in a particular historical period and a very particular kind of hero and heroine. Don't know what that means. Okay, sure. And then after that, all of them are really low. But what got zero votes, zero, is... Lots of scenes with explicit sexual description. Liars. Exactly. Because, as I just mentioned, all these same women voted that book, The Flame and the Flower, their mm-hmm. favorite one. Yeah. But, but, there's a difference between lots, yeah, lots of love scenes without explicit sexual description is like low down. Lots of love scenes with some explicit sexual description is among the top votes, but then lots of scenes with explicit sex. So there's like nuance here. There's with some explicit sexual description mm-hmm. or with explicit sexual description. So I wonder where The Flame and the Flower falls. I haven't read that book, obviously. Maybe we should read it. And, so, and you know, there's obviously, I'm sure, a way different interpretation of what lots is between – when that book came out in 1972 and now. Yes. Not to mention lots of variation in what explicit is. Yes. Oh, almost certainly. Yeah. I am curious of what language is used for penis in 1972. I don't want to know. Probably member. Ugh. I know. That's the worst one. God. Give me your top three from this list. Yes. Pass the book Let's to do you. that. So now us in 2023. Yeah, let's rule out a happy ending because that's that doesn't that's count. a given outside of a happy ending. And are these even relevant enough, or is there something else you would add? <sighs> Some of these feel very irrelevant. Like yeah. lots of details about faraway places and times. Nope, I don't really read historical romance. But maybe we can. You know, we were just in the episode that's going to come out next that the listeners have not heard yet, we were talking about romance authors writing place and setting really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so maybe we sub that in. Mm, maybe so. Like a, a rich a rich setting, a, a rich, rich backdrop. Setting. Yes, okay. So we've got, to recap, a happy ending, which we're nixing. Yeah. Lots of scenes with explicit sexual description. That, that remains relevant. Yes. Uh, a rich setting. A long conflict between hero and heroine. Punishment of the villain. Okay. Yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, we can rule that out. There's not often very many villains in these. A slowly but consistent, consistently developing love between hero and heroine. Yeah, so a slow burn. A setting in a particular historical period. No. No. Lots of love scenes with some explicit sexual description. Still relevant. Lots of love scenes without explicit sexual description. And some detail about a hero and heroine after they've gotten together. And then a very particular kind of hero and heroine. For me, I would say... You can also yeah. throw some wild cards in there. I My guess. wild card is that we intimately know the heroine and the hero. Or at mm. least the heroine. Mm-hmm. 
I think that for me, a romance is like very important is I have to feel like I know the person, mm-hmm. the main character. Well, it like it doesn't even have to be dual perspective. Like I don't necessarily have to feel like I know the male lead quite as well, but like I want to know motivation and et cetera bet- between why this person is doing these things. Sure. So, so three dimensional characters. A three dimensional character. Yes. I don't need just just sex. I don't really want a long conflict. As we've talked about, we don't like miscommunication. Yeah. I, I like a slow burn, but not too slow. Right. I'll I'll put in a rich setting. Yeah. I like a rich setting. And then the some detail. No, I don't really care about that because often we only get an epilogue. Right. After they've gotten together. I guess, well, I guess it depends on how you think of when they get together. Like when they get together in the book or when they get together permanently. I was thinking permanently. That's how I read it, too. Because in these historical romances, you do kind of get the after mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. And my only reference is Bridgerton, so I could be wrong. Yes. My <laughs> those are the only historical romances I read. No, those are kind of my only two. Is like a rich character. I guess like a semi-rich setting. I can, yeah. I can make some uh, concessions. And then I will, I will go with... Some explicit sexual description. Yeah, I'm with the. I need some. I don't like a fully closed door. Right. Um. Like I need. I need some kind of heat. Yes. Um. Because then I'm just left feeling unsatisfied. Yes. We don't always need a Tessa Bailey, but right. But I need. I need something. Yes. Who's the midpoint? Maybe an Emily. An Emily Henry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think. I think I'm. Exactly with you. I don't really care that much about most of these. No, what I feel like I really care about in a romance is, I mean, obviously that they, like, get together and make out a few times, but, like, if, but that's what you get when you pick up the genre, is, like, when I look for in a romance is, like, a rich character and, like, characters that make sense together. Right. Right. And I I think, like, an added bonus is, like, a really unique concept. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, like like Ashley Poston's book have the little books have the little magical realism yes twist. Mm-hmm. Or just like so, cuz so many of these can feel very formulaic. Right. And that is kind of what I like about them. Mm-hmm. But if like if someone comes up with like a sort of off the wall concept like Mrs. Nash's Ashes for example, right. um where you're like, "Okay, I just got to read about this wacky road trip." That's true. You know? Yeah. So there's also, which of the following do you feel should never be included in a romance? And... Boy, are these dark. Boy, are these dark, but they are not... Wrong. The one that got the most vote votes is not the one I would expect. Which one got the most votes? Bed hopping. Oh, that's right. Meaning like a slutty lead? Yeah, I I guess. That's what I'm interpreting bed hopping right. as being. Like her sleeping with multiple people. Let's let's Google bed hopping definition. Sexually active with more than one partner. Yep. Yeah. So interestingly, a, a, a part of this book that I actually did read, not a lot of, but, like, I got kind of sucked into earlier, mm-hmm. was there's this whole section later on in this book about the failed romance. Mm. And the entire argument is kind of built around the concept that a failed romance novel is, like, the the one rule of a successful romance novel is that it's one woman, one man. Mm-hmm. And I suppose we can update this for the 21st century, just one person and one person. Right. And kind of the whole idea of the failed romance is the romance where that rule is broken. Interesting. Okay. So where perhaps the heroine has multiple partners, where like an example that was given was a book where someone is married, the woman is married, and then she sort of kind of starts to fall for another guy, mm-hmm. but then ends up with her husband again, like falls back in love with her husband again. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the definition of like a failed interesting romance because, uh-huh. I mean, I guess she just comes off as slutty. Yeah. I'm trying to think of now an example where we have in our 
understanding of contemporary romance. Like, who is a bedhopper that we have read? Have you read In Five Years by Rebecca Searle? No. Well, I just spoiled it for you. Right. <laughs> but in that book, it's sort of another, like, time travel uh-huh. kind of deal. And the main character is having marital problems with her husband and, like, kind of starts to fall for this other guy. Mm. And then she ends up staying with her husband. Okay. And Rebecca Searle is, like, an immensely popular, like, romance and women's fiction Mm-hmm. author and this book was really well received yeah and to be quite honest with you when i read it i did not like that she ended up with her husband again because i liked the romance with the other guy yeah and yeah. because it was just so different and weird mm. to like build toward this romance and then what it was was that it ended up not really being a romance novel it was like women's fiction or whatever right. Because it just, like, taught her what she loves about her husband. And I don't remember all the specifics because this was years ago that I read it. Mm -hmm. But I was, like, I was expecting a romance and that's not what I got. Yeah. So. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. That's the only one I can really think of. In the True Love Experiment, which I'm reading right now, the lead, Fizzy, is promiscuous. Mm Mm-hmm. But we don't – she's never – at least so far of where I am in the book, which is probably – I'm listening to the audio book and I'm like – I have like two hours left or whatever, Mm -hmm. so I'm pretty far into it. She's not – she hasn't been with any of these other men Mm. yet. But she's like flirty and attracted to them because she's on this dating show. The other example I also thought of was One to Watch, which is also a dating show concept. But – Kind of the same thing. Like, she's not sleeping with multiple men. She's mostly just going on dates with them. Like, right. flirting with them. That kind of, like, multiple romance, but it's not, quote unquote, slutty romance. Right. And then we have, of course, heroines who have, like, been promiscuous in the past. Sure. Quote unquote. I don't like sure. that word, but, right. you know. Yeah. Th- there's not really a better <laughs> yeah way to describe it. You know, we have, yeah, we have women in these books who have, like, had multiple partners like people do and right but you don't really necessarily like see them at that moment in their life right it's like almost a reformed period of their life yeah they're, they're like i was slutty down. and now yeah. i'm ready to settle yeah. down <laughs> ready for one partner yeah yeah so yeah it's it's just incredible to me that that was the one that got the most votes because the other options on here are like rape physical torture like those are the really bad ones but then there's also like Explicit sex, a sad ending. Sad ending got the second most votes. Okay. Which I would agree with. Yeah. I would put rape first. Yes. (laughs) But, you know, rape is third on this. And physical torture is fourth. So these women hate a slut more than they hate rape. Which I don't want to spend too much time thinking about. Yeah. Also, if we're talking mostly in the context of this academic work... Where they're talking a lot about Harlequin and historical romance. Right. Which, unfortunately... Does have a lot of rape and physical torture. Yes. Why I won't watch Game of Thrones or whatever. Mm-hmm. Katie just made a face. I like Game of Thrones. I know you do, but... But, yeah, it is true to the time. Yes. Unfortunately. Do I read romance for those things? Absolutely not. Well, like, I'm going to bring up Bridgerton again because it's my only point of reference. But, mm-hmm. like... Bridgerton is, like, super hot, Mm -hmm. both the books and the TV show, appropriate to the time Mm -hmm. without all of that. Yes. Like, it's not necessary. Right. In a romance. Like, maybe in other historically accurate, like, capital L literary books about, like, life in the 1700s or whatever, maybe mm-hmm. it's necessary to include something about what women went through or whatever. Yes. But it doesn't have any place in, like, a happy, feel-good romance. I would be curious now, too, to compare, like, a historical romance of today, just, like, the genre as a whole, like, those written today versus those written in, like, the 80s. Like, right. what is the, you know, ratio of super dark physical tortured rape and historical romances written, like, Today in the 2020s, 10s, et cetera, versus those in like 70s, 80s kind of thing. Right. Because I feel like there was a lot of like 
oh, she's like escaping her abusive husband or whatever, right. which we see some of now, but like not that much. Right, exactly. Or if it is like, it's like an off page, a reference to something that happened off page. Mm-hmm. It's not like actively happening in the book. Yeah. If we get any of that. Yeah. It's, yeah, I don't know. We wanted to amend this list to add Secret Baby. Secret Baby, first most objectionable. <laughs> secret Baby. <laughs> Surprise Baby, not Secret Baby, sorry. Either works for e- me. Any babies. Any baby. We don't want any babies. Any baby. Someone recommended a book, not to me directly, but online, that was like, it must have been a TikTok or something, that was like, if you hate Surprise Baby If you hate a surprise baby trope, read this book because this might be one that you'll actually like like because the book is really good. Mm -hmm. And it's it's called something baby moon because she this person apparently has a one night stand with this man and then they go on like a baby moon to a resort and then they fall in love. Okay, so so I'm hang on. Let me find it. So it starts with the baby. Yeah. Baby moon or bust is what it's called. Mm. And it's got four stars on Amazon. Okay. Um, it's on Kindle Unlimited, so I did download it. I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to hear the people out. It looks cute. It sounds cute. Yeah. I like read a little bit of the first chapter and it's sort of the lead character is sort of a, a mess. Tessie True Love? Yes. Unfortunately. Boy. Oh um, no, the man on the cover has a tattoo. I know. He looks hot. <laughs> He's got a lumberjack shirt on. He's they're like on a beach. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I'll hear y'all out. It's got a three point eight on Goodreads. You know, maybe because it starts with a baby. That's a little different than a surprise baby, like fifty percent through the book, and then suddenly it's like, how do we become parents? Exactly. This book is literally called Baby Moon or Bus. She's literally pregnant on the cover, so like I know what I'm getting into. Her muscled, bearded, brooding baby daddy. Yeah, I know. It seems really goofy, but. We like um, a goof- the, re- the reviews are pretty cute. Yeah. We can do a goofy occasionally. And I like a resort. Yeah. <laughs> resort romance. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in. All right. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Free what- on Kindle Unlimited. What else are your absolutely hates in a romance? Or- From this list? Uh, That list and then also if there are any to add. Besides secret surprise baby. If If the like sort of plot or conflict is like too unbelievable Mm. like i just finished reading this book called a proposal they can't refuse or something like that Mm -hmm. and the characters were really really good but the entire plot was focused around it was these two best these two like they had been best friends growing up and their grandpas were best friends and they find out that one of the grandpas is about to die and they're the grandpas are basically like i can't remember exactly how this went down but they were like We'll help you with something if you guys get engaged. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? Like, they're not even dating. Like, they're two friends mm-hmm. who have, like, very obviously been in love with each other for a long time. Yeah. But the grandpas are like, we're going to force y'all to get engaged. And that's what you can do for us in our old age. And the entire plot revolves around that, which... I'm not opposed to a fake engagement, a fake dating, a marriage of convenience. Right. But it was just so, it was built around this really flimsy plot device. Yeah. That sort of made the whole book, like, a book that I really wanted to enjoy because I really liked the characters. Mm -hmm. It just all fell apart. The lowest vote on this was a hero stronger than the heroine. Apparently everyone wants a hero stronger than heroine. The second... (laughs) <laughs> the one with the second most amount, second least amount of votes was premarital sex. Okay. All these housewives want premarital sex. Yes. How do you have a romance without premarital sex? Literally no idea. Okay, there was something that I want to touch on really quickly here, which is that there's a section about the act of reading the romance. And there's a section about guilt. Mm. Where Janice, the author, says that guilt seems to arrive to arise over three specific aspects of romance reading. And she's talking about it. And then the first one is that these women are, are feel the most guilty about the quantity of time that they devote to reading because it demands the attention that would otherwise be devoted to children, house, or husband. Mm-hmm. Um, but they defend themselves with the assertion that they have a right to escape just as others do. 
Hmm. Interesting. The second thing that leads to guilt is the amount of money spent on books. <laughs> because many of them report that they are often called to task by their husbands for their repetitive consumption. Interesting. Their most common response is the astute observation that neither their husbands nor their children worry about duplicating tools, gadgets, toys, or clothes they already have when they express interest in acquiring new ones. The women wonder then why they should have to adhere to standards of thrift and parsimony with respect to books when other family members do not observe the same requirements. <laughs> and then the third worry is about the subject matter of the books. Okay, I was waiting for that one. Yeah. Many critics label the books they love softcore pornography. Yes. But interestingly, that's like the part that they spend the least amount of time talking about. Talking about. Interesting. Uh, which is which is really interesting. So I just wanted to point that out. There's also a lot of talk about escapism in this section. Do you feel any guilt about your romance reading? Not anymore. Yeah. I do feel like sometimes when I when I'm reading like too many romances i like do feel a little bit like okay i need to throw something else in the mix that's not like romance or fantasy fantasy yeah. that's a little more like capital cerebral L. yeah <laughs> but not as much as i used to has ryan ever commented on the amount of books you buy <laughs> actually no which he probably should this is shocking to me because i think we together comment more on the books that we buy than our respective partners do. I can stop at any time. <laughs> we don't have a problem. As we sit in Katie's office, which truly every single wall has books on it. It has books on it. Yeah. Um, I actually need to buy another bookshelf. Yeah. There's you, you, could, you could come into this space and think maybe Katie has a problem. Do you ever feel guilt about the amount of time that you spend reading? Yes. Yeah. Because sometimes I am not doing things that I should be doing. Mm, yes. Because I'm reading. Yes. You too. <sighs> My reading habits this summer have been really inconsistent. Mm -hmm. I will say that. And so mm, more so of like, I don't usually because usually I've, I'm in this like stage of life, I think, with reading where it's like if I'm doing it consistently, I'm rewarding myself for that mm -hmm. because mine can be so much like so inconsistent at times where it'll be like right. a week where maybe i don't really read much of anything because my brain is just like not there like as we've talked about like so much of our day-to-day -day life is spent like reading and writing that like sometimes i just like don't have it in me to get off work and like read a book even right. if it is like a book i very much enjoy and like and something lighthearted. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sometimes I just, like, don't have it in me to, like, look at another word on a page. Right. So, like, not really anymore. I think, like, when when I was in, like, high school and, like, almost as a kid I did, because my dad would always comment on, like, I would read the same books, like, over and over mm. and over again. And I'm shocked to hear that. Yeah. Aren't you? I'm a big rereader, rewatcher of most things. But my dad would, like, like... My parents were very good about encouraging my love of reading mm -hmm. and would, like, buy me books and, like, take me to the bookstore. And, like, they were never upset about that. It was – my dad would get so annoyed that I was just, like, rereading Harry Potter so much. <laughs> and he'd be like, do you pick up another damn book? And he'd, like, try to buy me other books occasionally that I just, like, didn't have as much interest in. And that's – like, I don't even know if I felt guilt about it, but it was just, like – Maybe I should read something else. I don't know. Like, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. My mine was very much the same way. My like, my dad was super supportive of me reading, which like my dad has like maybe read three books in his entire lifetime. Same with Joe. I've maybe like never seen this man read a book. Yeah, that three books feels like an overestimate. Yeah, but he was really good about encouraging me to read. But he would get annoyed with what I think I now know was probably my ADHD. <laughs> Because I just, like, wouldn't be able to put a book down or I would be so yes. sucked in that he would be, like, trying to talk to me and he would be like, Katie, Katie. And I just, like, legit could not hear him. Okay. See, I also had this problem. But what Austin will call my, like, superpower of, like, I can tune anything out mm -hmm. if I'm, like, focused on one thing. And that would frustrate my dad a lot. Yeah. That would – and also, I did have the problem of reading books under my desk in school. 
Me too. Yeah. And I would get in trouble for it. Me too. So that tells you a lot about us. Yeah. That's This is what we got in trouble for. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um. So yeah, but like now, like I don't hold a lot of guilt because I don't, I feel like I don't spend enough time reading. So like mm-hmm. maybe I hold guilt about that. Is that like I do spend a lot of time like, you know, doing stuff with the dogs or like, like, oh, I should be scrolling on TikTok right. or whatever, like watching Gilmore Girls in the background while I just like fuck around on Reddit. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like I I hold guilt about that, like the opposite version. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I do not hold any guilt about the content of the books. Oh, no, I don't either. O- other than the fact that sometimes I'm like, I should probably read something else. Yeah, I think. I don't know. And even that, it's like, I don't feel guilty. It's just like, eh, I should probably like challenge my brain a little bit more right now. Right. I also just place a lot of value in being widely read. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's something that's personally very important to me. Mm-hmm. And so just getting a different perspectives or different genres. Mm. That's interesting to hear you say that because I have not thought about myself in that way, especially as somebody who does kind of read only in the romance genre for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Like I would not consider myself super widely read when it comes to books i also have the benefit of being a journalist yes yeah, so you're like, like widely read in terms of like cultural and yeah political goings on like i would like to think so and yeah. i think i like as i have conversations with people sometimes i'll surprise myself in a way of like oh, I do know about this, or, like, Mm -hmm. oh, I can make this connection, and, like, oh, I know this perspective, or I've at least, like, read this perspective from this, but I don't necessarily have that with books. Like, I kind of put books fully in an enjoyment Mm -hmm. camp right now at this point in life, and less of a, I'm learning this to, like, read something, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like you do have books that you read to learn things. Yeah. And I don't right now. Yeah, and I, like, read a bunch of nonfiction and stuff, too. Like, a lot of science-y shit. Yeah. Um, like, I wish I did more of that, but also, like, I understand why I don't. Right. And I just I just kind of put them as in two separate camps in my mm. brain, which is part of why I read multiple books at a time. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, I've got this, like, kind of more serious one, and I've got these other, like, ones that take less of my brain. Yeah. And then I can kind of choose my own adventure mm. mm-hmm. for what I'm in the mood for. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's just something I can't do, though. That's your superpower. It is my superpower. You know what I determined my actual superpower is? Hmm. When I was talking to Sophie? My superpower is that you can tell me, like, two books that you like, and I can recommend, like, five that Mm, you'll like. That is a good one. I think that is my superpower. That is a good one. I realized it when Madeline and Amanda were giving me back the books that I lent to them that Mm -hmm. I picked out for them. And then Sophie was telling me how much she liked Dead Romantics. And I was like, I knew it because it's, like, not fantasy. Yeah. But you're a fantasy girl. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, just close enough. Mm. And so I think that's my actual superpower. That is a good one. Yeah. Ryan was like, you should turn it into a business where, like, you, like, consult people on books. That's not a bad idea. But also, Ryan, we don't need more I don't jobs. need another job. I, w- I had, a, like, 20 minutes where I was like. Could I do that? Business plan. Business plan. <laughs> business plan. <laughs> Which is also my ADHD. Yeah. How can I monetize this? I've got to mm. make money off of this. Yep. Also, also, my ADHD presents itself as too much time spent on an idea for something that I won't do. Mm, yes. <laughs> Whole business model for this. <laughs> for this. And it's in here. It's in my brain. It There's is. not Pushed out some useful stuff, I'm this sure. This is your retirement plan. When you are some, – somehow if you get to retire. If any of us <laughs> get to retire. <laughs> True. Then you can do that. <laughs> okay, so another interesting um, chart in this book is um, the narrative logic of the romance. And there are 13 steps here. Yes. Step one, the heroine's social identity is thrown into question. Okay. Which this is not that different than like the beginning of a contemporary romance novel because right. there is some sort of like – I'm, like, perpetually single, all my friends are married, or, like, there's some sort of flaw, quote-unquote, yeah. in the heroine's character. Yes. Something that either makes her look for romance or makes her more open to the possibility of romance. Yeah. So the second one, the heroine reacts antagonistically to an aristocratic male. <laughs> <laughs> so... 
this is telling me that all Harlequin romances are enemies to lovers. And secret millionaires. Secret or, millionaires, yeah. Or openly millionaires. Or, oh, yes. Yeah, millionaires, though. Yeah. They have to be rich. The arist- Number three, the aristocratic male responds ambiguously to the heroine. Okay. Interesting. So he doesn't show interest, but he doesn't show lack of interest. Okay. Number four. The heroine interprets the hero's behavior as evidence of a purely sexual interest in her. That is not what I thought. I know. You made the same face I just made. (laughs) Okay. Yep. Number five, the heroine responds to the hero's behavior with anger or coldness. Okay, see, that one I was expecting. Yeah. Number six, the hero retaliates by punishing the heroine. Okay. Which I'm watching Queen Charlotte, the mm-hmm. Bridgerton Bridgerton spinoff right now. So that's pretty much exactly what's happening in the show. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think Janice thinks of Bridgerton? I would love to know. I would love to know. Number seven, the heroine and hero are physically and or emotionally separated. This is also happening in my TV show. The hero treats the heroine tenderly. Okay. It's also happening in my TV show. Did Shonda Rhimes read this book? I would love to know. I also would love to know because this, it really feels like exactly, <sighs> because the Queen Charlotte spinoff of Bridgerton was not written in the books. It's uh-huh. an entirely new TV show concoction yeah. written by Shonda Rhimes. Yeah. Number nine, the heroine responds warmly to the hero's act of tenderness. Number 10, the, oh, this is relevant for contemporary romance. The heroine reinterprets the hero's ambiguous behavior as the product of previous hurt. Mm, so he's got baggage yes. that he's unloading onto her. Yes. Number 11, the hero proposes slash openly declares his love for slash demonstrates his unwavering commitment to the heroine with a supreme act of tenderness. A grand gesture. Yes. Number 12, the heroine responds sexually and emotionally to the hero. <laughs> she puts out. Yep. Number 13, the heroine's identity is rest- restored, which I fucking hate that phrasing. All right. Yeah, I don't like that. But this begs the question, and you don't have to come up with 13 of them. We don't have to come up with 13 of them. But what would we consider the, the current narrative logic of the romance? Mm, okay. Well, I think the first one is still, whether it's not a question of identity, but there is something in your life that is that begs for change. Yeah, there's a there's not a character flaw, but something that is often interpreted as a character flaw. Yeah, and it could be as simple as like in Dead Romantics where it starts where Florence is just kind of going through her life. Mm-hmm. Even though she is off a, fresh off a breakup too, but she is living this kind of like mundane life that even if she thinks that she doesn't want it to change. Right. It needs change. Yeah, it's usually some large event has happened mm-hmm. that has created change or... Mm-hmm. The heroine has a very static life mm-hmm. that needs change. Mm-hmm. I think those are the two. Yeah. And then the meat cute. Right. Whether cute or not. Right. There's a meet or a re-meet or an introduction. Yes. Yes. Could be an existing character, but oftentimes it's not. Right. The development of... I feel like most of the time you... Well... I guess it depends on kind of the trope. Yeah. Because you, know? you can develop a friendship first. Right. Or it could be enemies. Or it can be enemies. Yeah, the development of a relationship, mm-hmm. I guess, whether, you know, de- yeah, like you said, dependent on the trope. Right. And the reason it- they're developing a relationship, whether it's like a workplace romance, sure. like, like a fake dating or whatever, like just a general development of the relationship between these two characters. Yeah, which could read very much like this mm-hmm. if it's like an enemies to lovers. Right. But. I feel like number two through, like, ten of these aren't relevant if it's not enemies to lovers. Right. But yet, so this is telling us all historical romance is enemies to lovers. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like we could do, like, 15 different mm-hmm. charts like this for the different tropes. Yeah. But generally, so after the development, you have the kind of, like, proclamation of love. Yeah. Either physically they get together or emotionally. The 50%. Or both. Yeah. Hey, hey. 
Then you have this, like, honeymoon period of them being together and that relationship developing further, them, like, deciding what that looks like, if it looks like anything, or it could be private. I don't, like, again, depends on the trope. But but then you have the fight. Yeah, there's always some sort of conflict. Yep. And resolution. Yep, conflict, resolution, happily ever after. Yeah. So, I think that's kind of the copy-paste version of, like... Obviously, there's smaller things in between, but... Right. Depending on the trope. But that is kind of the general structure, I would say. Yeah. Of a romance. So to end it, there are some surveys at the end of this book. Yes. Part of Janice's methodology was that she gave out a lot of surveys, Mm -hmm. which she included in the book. Yeah, so she had oral interviews and, like, written questionnaires. So I'm going to pick and choose some of these. Great. And then I will do the same for you. Yeah. Because there's like 45 questions, so yeah, we can't do all of them. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. Okay. Do you have certain times in your week that are devoted to more reading? Like, are there times of the week that you read more than others? Mm, no. And I think that's my problem a lot mm. of the time is that I don't have a structured routine of like, I get up this time and I read or like I get off work at this time and I read. Mm-hmm. Definitely in the past couple of months, my schedule has like fallen apart mm-hmm. with moving, starting a new job and everything. So that is something I would like to be better at. And whether that's deciding like I work out in the morning and then my evenings are for reading mm-hmm. or I read in the morning and then I go work out in the evening because now my work schedule has changed. So it's kind of tough to do like both. Mm-hmm. So so no, not right now. Interesting. If I go to bed earlier, I find it easier to, like, read in bed. Yeah. So I have that. Where do you do most of your reading? On your couch? On the couch. In my chair. And, you know, I don't know if I have a common... Mm -hmm. I kind of take it where I can get it. I'll read at the dog park. Mm -hmm. I'll read on the couch. I'll read... I read most of Seven Year Slip and the chair in the living room. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't like to read in bed because I don't have a comfortable setup right now unless I'm on my Kindle and I can lay on my side and read. But like physical reading a book in my bed is really tough. Yeah. Um. So no, I don't have a I don't have a set spot. I'll take it where I can get it. If I'm like in the headspace to read, like I'll just try to do it. Right. What is your method of finding new romances besides me? <laughs> um, NetGalley? NetGalley, Yes. Instagram. I would say I found most of my, like, ones that I ended up really liking, like, through NetGalley. Mm-hmm. Like, Mrs. Nash's Ashes was one I found through NetGalley. That was a major win. Yeah, that was a good win. Or, I do really like the staff cards at Book People. Mm. I I also do. Yeah, that's true. Or at any bookstore, really. But I do really appreciate a staff card. I agree. I've, yeah. Yeah, I found a lot of books that way. Or just talking to people at the bookstore. Yes, Yes. I, I do very much like a word of mouth recommendation, whether it's from you or somebody else. Mm-hmm. Me too. Um, obviously, it's mostly from you. But a word, yeah, like a staff recommendation or anybody at the bookstore. Yeah. Or, or just, I mean, really anybody. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I love this question. <laughs> if we met at a party and began discussing romances, how would you describe your romance reading to me? Um, if we didn't know each other. Specify the question a little bit more. Like, do you want type or... I don't... It's... I love that it's vague. It is vague, though. I would... Okay, what do I tell people usually? Yeah, like, okay, so maybe not me. Maybe it's not me. You meet a stranger at a party and you find out that you both like romance novels or that you both like reading. Let's say you both like reading. Okay. How do you broach the subject of what you read? First, I ask what they read and then... They tell me, I'm assuming. Yeah. And then I will say, I almost exclusively read romance these days. I started re- reading romance because it was a nice reintroduction into reading after graduating, where I had no time to read and whatnot. I would probably I would probably talk about it being like a little bit of escapism, but I, I almost certainly would go into a rant of romance being an underappreciated genre and mm-hmm. that it is women-centric in a way that is valuable in multiple ways. Yeah, I'm assuming at this party you've had a few drinks. Yep, and I'm probably screaming <laughs> about <laughs> And then I'd probably start talking about Emily Henry. <laughs> so, that's, uh, and then I would also probably mention that we do a podcast. Yes. 
Yes. So that's probably how I would do it. Yeah, the, the Abigail in my in the party in my head has had a few gin drinks. Yep. Pink ones. Yep. This is a fun question. I'm going to reword it. So the original question is, how closely do you think the romantics, romantic heroines' reactions and feelings toward people and events resemble your own? Mm. I'm going to reword that and say, like... How how important to you is that or like do you value that more in a heroine than maybe – I don't know if I've ever thought about it this way. So it's an interesting thought yeah. exploration. Yeah. I think I definitely value it more mm-hmm. or I've found that in romances I really enjoy, I have related more to the character and like their decision making. Mm-hmm. Like Millicent in Mrs. Nash's Ashes. There sure. were a lot of things that she did that – I could see myself doing, mm-hmm. even, like, touching the bear's mouth. Right. I think, too, not to bring up Ashley Poston again, but I'm going to, but I think that's part of the reason that I like both of Ashley Poston's books so much mm. because I've fa- I've seen bits of myself in both of the heroines so much. Yeah. I definitely saw – I didn't see too much of myself in Florence, mm-hmm. I don't think, except, like, maybe some of her relationship with her dad. Right. But as a person, and that didn't, like, stop me from enjoying the book at all. But right. definitely I think my favorite romances have been heroin. Like Nora in right. Book Lovers is somebody I relate right. to a lot. Um, but I also really love Beach Read. And January is not somebody I necessarily totally relate to. But there are certain aspects of her that I I feel like I would have reacted the same way. Yeah. So, like, yes and no. Right. I think it just kind of always comes back to like a very richly written character. Yeah, and I think I think it's just natural to gravitate to a character that resembles yourself even if it's subconscious. Yeah. I think I I think about my romance journey and my Taylor Swift journey of very closely related mm-hmm. of I have gone through kind of a rediscovery of the more quote-unquote feminine aspects of myself mm-hmm. that it did not value at all. Mm-hmm. And also reckoning that with, like, the aspects of myself that I valued more so mm-hmm. than, like, my emotions, things like that. So when I can see that, like, reflected in another heroine, I think I always get, like, a little bit more of a valuable reading experience out of it. Like... Millicent and Mrs. Nash's ashes at the end when she kind of has that moment of I'm not ashamed of like who I am, even if I am a little bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. I think I I mean, I think a big part of it is just just maybe more than maybe more than someone who's like similar to you as a person. It's like vulnerability Mm. in general. Yes. All right. Hit me with your questions. All right. I'm going to give you kind of some quick fire ones that don't require a lot of explanation, but I do want to scope. Of your reading health, because ours is so different. About the number of books you read per month. Kind of depends on the month, Mm -hmm. because when I'm in school versus not in school. Mm -hmm. But I would say a good average is probably 10. Okay. Do you read every day? Yes. When do you do the most reading? Probably mostly in the mornings. Mm -hmm. I get up really early and Mm -hmm. like to read with breakfast. Yes, I remember a couple weeks ago when I you texted me and I was like awake in the middle of the night and it was like five in the morning and I was like, what are you doing up? And you, she was, was like, I'm always up. I know. And I was like, I'm always up this early. Let's see. Do you have certain times in the week devoted more to reading? Or do you, is it kind of like, I guess what I'm asking is, do you always read more on the weekends or do you kind of read the same amount every day? I think I probably read less on the weekends. Yeah. Although I'm doing more housework, so I'm, like, listening to audiobooks more. Mm, mm-hmm. So maybe it's sort of just a shifting in my habits. But I probably read more on weekdays because I don't really try – I don't really like having social plans on weekdays. I prefer to do stuff on weekends. Okay. I'm going to ask you two of them that you also asked me. Okay. Of how closely do you think the romantic heroine's reactions and feeling towards people and events resemble your own? What is – reworded kind of the same way you do – Yeah. What is, like, your relationship with a heroine who is more like you? Yeah, I think I I like it on both ends of the spectrum. I think I like a heroine that is a lot like me, and I enjoy that book in one way. Mm -hmm. And then I also really 
you know, I, I try, as I said earlier, I try to read widely. And so I try to read books from a variety of perspectives and cultures and whatever. So I also really enjoy someone who's not like me in any way. Mm -hmm. Like I was talking about the proposal they can't refuse book earlier. And the lead in that is like a Puerto Rican woman who lives in Chicago and like her family owns a Puerto Rican restaurant and like could not be more different Mm -hmm. than Mm -hmm. me. So I enjoyed that book in a really different type of way than I do someone who's a lot like me. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just, it's not that I like one or the other. It's maybe I go about reading it in a different way. Yeah. That's interesting too, because I think when I answered this question earlier, I thought about characters like me, like emotionally like me. Right. Not so much like, you know, oh, was it in uh, The Wedding Crasher, Mia Sosa? Mm-hmm book but the main character lives in dc and like has a big family and all their aunts and things like that and like that's very much not my life right. but like some of the some of the aspects of that character or nora from book lovers my mm-hmm. most like classic example of somebody like me of like yes she has a sister but like she's also basically an orphan she's like this high-powered book editor and like you know right there are, there are different aspects yeah and i think I think it's a both and thing Mm -hmm. for me. Like, I think sometimes a character can be really similar to me emotionally, but the culture or the situation that they're in is so different Mm -hmm. than my life that it makes me see them as not super similar to me almost. Because I'm like, well, they're reacting to their individual set of circumstances that I would maybe react to differently or whatever. So it it really depends, I think, on the overall context. Like, the emotional and the cultural and the physical and sort of all of those things combined for me. Mm, mm-hmm. And then, I'm not going to limit it to romance because you are far more widely read. But if you were at a party, we'll make it a two-prong answer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you were at a party and you met somebody, how would you, one, describe your general, like, reading mm-hmm, habits mm-hmm. slash life? And then how would you describe your romance reading? Yeah, I would probably – I'll answer your second one first. I would probably – Describe my romance reading very similar to you mm-hmm. of, you know, advocating for reading yeah. our silly little cartoon cover books. We love them. And talking about the podcast and stuff. The first question, I like kind of get really self-conscious when mm. people I don't like talking about books with a lot of people because I read a lot and very quickly. Mm-hmm. And there are people, and it's not these people's fault, because this is probably what I would say, too. Like, there are people who are like, how do you read that many books? Like, how how do you do that? Like, mm-hmm. in a way that makes me feel, like, embarrassed sometimes. Do you feel like a, almost like a sideshow character? Yeah. Like, people poking at it, like, that's so weird. How do you do that? Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I just do. Like, yeah. I read multiple books at once. Mm-hmm. I do audiobooks a lot. Like, all of, I don't watch that much TV. I don't, like, have that many other hobbies. Like, this is the main thing. Yeah. Which also is embarrassing to be like, I don't have any other hobbies than just this one. I don't think you don't have hobbies. Which, I mean, yeah, but this is the one that I spend the most time on. Sure. And so I get, I don't. I get weird talking about my reading Mm -hmm. habits with people, even, like, friends. Yeah. Because that's, like, the thing that they comment on. And I'm like, well, I'd rather talk about what I've read than how much I'm reading. Mm, That's a good good point. Yeah. And then mostly I go into book recommendations for other people because as we've established, that's my superpower. Yes. That's the benefit of being widely read is I've got, like, a Rolodex. I've got a whole Dewey Decimal system going on in here. That's what all your brain power is spent on. Yep, actually. that's why I forget everything else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Katie reads too many books. It pushes everything else out. It pushes out. everything else out. <laughs> so we're both between books right now, but um, what what are you going to read next? I'm going to read That Summer Feeling by Bridget Morrissey. I've talked about A Thousand Miles on the podcast before because I really enjoyed it. It was really fun. Um and we also mentioned this one in our general summer reading roundup because it's set at summer camp. Mm. And I'm excited to read it because, yeah, I did really like Bridget Morrissey's A Thousand Miles. She wrote another one um, that came out before A Thousand Miles called Love Scenes that I haven't read, which I think you had read. I think I read it. It was fine. I don't – this was a long time ago. I don't remember having – 
crazy strong feelings about it one way or the other. But I do yeah. remember being like, eh. It was a book. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I'm going to pick up that summer feeling and hopefully um, I'll feel less angry about it still being summer. <laughs> that Doubtful. summer feeling is bad. <laughs> bad. The summer feeling is bad. Um, I am going to pick up the newest in the Ashley Herring Blake what is now a trilogy, but I don't know if it's going to end. But, you know, we read Delilah Green Doesn't Care for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Then the second book I read and really liked, uh, which was Astrid Parker Doesn't Fail. So the third book is Iris Kelly Doesn't Date. Yep. And so I am really excited for that because I have been really enjoying this series. Um, and I like these fun Sweet little queer romances that Ashley Herring Blake writes. Yeah. Are we running out of characters? Will it end at a trilogy? I think Iris is the last in the friend group. Right. Because you've got Delilah and Claire and then Astrid. Yeah. And then Iris. And so that's kind of the friend group. Yeah. I guess I'll let you know when I finish the book if it seems like. It could go on. Who the next person is going to be. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but that's it. Hope you guys enjoyed our analysis of this weird-ass book. Um, maybe I'll read it one day. It seems very insightful, um, but I'm glad I stole it off the table at work. It's got some lovely uh, reviews on the back of people who enjoyed her analysis. It's it's award-winning and widely well-received, I learned from my Googling. Yes. We so. just need more time to yeah. read some to read dense it. academic yes, exactly. text about romance, but this exactly. was fun. It was fun. Yeah. 